Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You know, the last uh, few weeks, about the last month or so now, we have, uh, I've been ministering uh, on the subject, the topic of religion versus the kingdom. They are, uh, they can look alike in different degrees, but they are actually very different. I'm not going to be continuing to that today, although, uh, you know, as we minister um, and as we approach different subjects, I, I pray that it will create an, a perspective for you that will always draw a contrast bef- between religious activity and kingdom activity. And so although it may not be a main subject or a main theme that we continue to hit on week after week, I believe that it will help be a lens for you and help create a perspective for you that will help you identify, okay, is this just religious activity that's actually moving me away from God and from kingdom? Or is this uh, in essence, what God wanted and what the kingdom is truly all about. And today, I want to look at the subjects of mercy and grace. The subjects of mercy and grace. And I don't know if we'll spend a, a lot of time on this. I can get real in-depth if, if needed. Uh, we'll just, you know, play it by ear. I used to do, back in the day, I used to minister by series. You know, I'd have it planned out four weeks, six weeks at a time know what I was going to hit on, but what, what I, you know, typically have been doing lately is, you know, I'll minister on a subject, and if I feel that there's more to engage and more to cover, then we'll just continue it the next week, amen? And then if we wrap it all up in one Sunday and say all that needs to be said, then we'll just cover it in that Sunday. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, um, it says this, but the gift is not like the trespass. So right away, he's identifying that there are gifts and then there are trespasses. There are things that God has given to us. You know, a gift is not earned, right? No one receives gifts and feels like they have earned that or been entitled to that, or at least we shouldn't feel that way. Um, You know, maybe socialism will tell you otherwise that gifts are to be expected and you're entitled to this even though you didn't do anything to deserve it. But trespasses, um, those are earned. You did something to deserve that type of conflict. We did something and, and, and Paul is letting us know that because of one man's sin, all of us walked into or earned uh, you know, uh, a life of sinfulness, a life separated from God. But he's given us a gift, something that we did not earn, something that we did not accomplish on our own, something that we did not achieve in our own good standing or goodwill. You can't be a good enough person. You can't have it all together. You can't grow up in the right area, make enough money, know enough people, have enough influence to ever earn the gifts that God has given you. And there's something amazing about that. Because I don't know about you, but my goodwill is limited. What I can do on my own, what I can accomplish on my own, how good of a person I can be on my own, there's limits to that. I can only do so much. I can only be 
so good. I can only do so well. I can only have to a certain degree. And at some point, that's going to be limited. At some point, I'm going to run that course and I'm going to have to rely on the goodness of God. I'm going to have to rely on what he has accomplished for me. He says, the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass, many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. Overflowed. That means that there is no shortage in the kingdom of God of grace. There's no limit to the grace of God. Its capacity has been untapped from the beginning of time. God's grace has been extended to mankind, and it is unlimited. You can't reach the end of God's grace. It says that it overflows to many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, verse 16. Because from one sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification, meaning I've been justified, meaning I've been made in right standing by what Jesus accomplished. You know, one of the the greatest tactics that the enemy wants to, you know, we've been discovering the deceptive nature of the devil. We've been discovering the deceptive uh, way that he works, the deceptive way that he leads, the, the, the deceptive way that he manipulates. And one of the biggest things that he wants you to do is he wants you to abandon what Jesus has accomplished for you and wants it to switch over into what you can do for yourself. See, if he can't get you to run away deliberately from God, then he will move you thinking you're running toward him when really you're not. And again, this this goes back to our religious activity. This goes back to thinking that we're accomplishing something on our own and not resting in and relying upon what Jesus has already accomplished. You know, it's interesting to me that, you know, of all the messages today, that are bring, being preached and being ministered. Um, and again, I don't mean to pick on our country, but especially in the United States of America, I believe that the, the message of mercy and grace may be the most distorted today in 2022. May be the message that is the most twisted might be the message that the enemy is producing. You know that there are messages that are being preached every Sunday in churches that the devil is doing uh, uh, nothing to stop. In fact, he's encouraging it. Somebody sent me a quote just this past week and said, the devil realized he couldn't conquer the church, so he decided to become the church. Meaning that he infiltrated, instead of trying to fight the church from the outside in, now he's fighting us from the inside out. Meaning that if he can't get you to skip church, skip reading the Bible, skip being a good person, then he will alter your motives 
and he'll alter uh, the intentions of your heart to where you will want to produce Christian activity, but all the while, you're nowhere near the heart of the Father. You're not drawing any closer to the heart of the Father. That's the level of deception that the enemy operates with. That's the level of of distortion and manipulation he wants to bring. And we have to have our eyes opened and awakened to this kind of activity, especially in these last days. I mean, if the Bible promises us that many will fall away, if the Bible promises so much of false prophets, false teachers, false teachings, false doctrine, false uh, 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 spirit movements, if it tells us of this, why is there so much uh, um, why is there so much activity being done in the church that has nothing to do with God? I mean, the warnings that we see in the Bible, we know that the world's going to grow darker and darker. We know it's going to become more and more immoral. We know that it's going to heap sin upon sin. One, one translation in the Bible says that people will invent new ways to sin. We know this is going to happen. We know that sin's going to run rampant. We know that, 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 that I mean, you know, there's a, there's a part of us as Christian believers in the kingdom of God that looks at what's happening in the world. And, and honestly, you know, it's chilling at times and it's shocking. But, but if I have to be honest, some of the things I'll read, some of the things I'll hear, I just have this response of, that's the way it's going to be. Like, there's just really no surprise anymore. You almost become desensitized to the sinful activity that's taking place. I mean, at first, it's like, man, they're doing that now? But then, at the core, it's like, why am I so shocked? I I guess I shouldn't be so blown away. We know this is going to happen in the world. But the warnings that are given to us by Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, many of these disciples, many of these warnings that we receive are not warnings about how the world is going to turn out. It's warnings about how the church is going to think it's doing Christian kingdom activity, but really it's taken a massive detour away from the heart of the Father. Those are the warnings we ought to be watching for. Those are the warnings that we need to be awake, or as uh, Peter tells us, to be sober-minded. Right? Because the devil roams around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Right? We understand that that the, the devil's tactics are to come as an angel of light, uh, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, the, 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 the deception is what we need to be on guard for. And the deceptive nature of how we are preaching grace and mercy today in the kingdom of God, it seems like we can't find the middle of the road on this subject. 
it seems like we either preach a, a God that, that there, there is no grace, there is, is no, uh, you know, he's just this hard God that is coming to, 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 to break you down the moment you sin, the moment you lose it, that, that, that there's no love, loving nature of the Father anymore, or it's the other flip side that he's so, um, um, you know, uh, accepting and welcoming and tolerant. I mean, the God that we've projected for the most part in the United States of America is such a tolerant God that you'd have to throw out three quarters of the Bible and you'd have to create another God. But there's got to be a middle of the road somewhere. There's got to be a balance Somewhere, There's got to be a way that we can believe in a father that loves us and cares about us so much, yet does not accept, tolerate, or engage a lot of what we allow and tolerate in our lives. There's got to be a way to find that. And I'm believing that we will. I'm believing that as a church in these last days, we will clearly define that. We will clearly find that balance. Because verse 17 says this. If by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive, here it is, the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? If you know anything about us, you know that we are a kingdom church preaching the kingdom of God, and this is about reigning and ruling in this life. Genesis 1:26, God's plan for man, his intention from the very beginning was that man would rule, reign, govern, manage, and control the affairs in this planet, in the earth. And he didn't deter from that plan. He didn't scratch plan A and say, all right, on to plan B. No, he restored you back to plan A. I've used this uh, many times. If my phone is sitting here on this podium and my phone happens to fall to the ground here, and if I pick up my phone and I place it on this speaker, have I restored the phone? Very simple. Have I restored the phone? No. Re, R-E means back to an original place. Restored means I'm putting it back where it was. And you have been restored. You have been redeemed. You have been renewed right back to where you were to begin with. Now the earth isn't restored. You are restored. The earth is going to be restored. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And man, that's going to be a great day. But we're going to go right back to ruling and reigning once again. But Jesus came to put you back where you fell from. You didn't fall from heaven. Adam and Eve were never in heaven. Adam and Eve weren't looking for heaven. No, they were looking to bring the affairs of heaven into this society, into this realm. They were looking to rule and reign and engage this earth just like God engages heaven. And you've been placed right back there. When we do water baptism, you're going to witness people that have made an inward declaration, but then they're going to make an outward uh, 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 
declaration with their lives saying that I am laying down my life to the old things and I'm taking on his life to the new ways of the kingdom of God. That's an individual that now has accepted that redeemed, restored life. Do I have any restored people in the house? Do I have any restored people that know what it means to come out of darkness and be brought into light? You know, sometimes I think we forget what God has brought us out of. And that's how we end up like Pharisees. That's how we end up like the ones that actually laid Jesus to rest, murdered him and killed him. It's because we live out of our own accomplishments. All of a sudden, Jesus was good enough to get us to the cross, and now it's up to me. Now, this is the interesting thing about it is Jesus is responsible for your spiritual renewal, but then God leaves the renewing of our mind the renewing of our soul, mind, will, and emotions, up to us. The crucifying of the flesh, up to us. What do I mean by that? I mean this, your mind is no one else's responsibility. Your actions are no one else's responsibility. Your lifestyle is no one else's responsibility. Your decisions are no one else's responsibility. It's amazing that Jesus takes care of the part that we couldn't take care of, but then he still leaves it up to you to reign in life. That's why we have Christians, either through deception they don't know, or a refusal to walk in the things that God has provided to us. Christians that are not operating according to the kingdom and not operating according to what the word tells us we ought to be living according to are in one of those two categories. We are either deceived, we don't know, ignorant, haven't discovered, or we refuse to accept. You're not walking in divine health for one of two reasons. Either we don't know divine health is available to us, Or we refuse to believe that divine health is available to us. It's that simple, guys. It's that simple. Uh, Financial prosperity and blessing in our lives. It's either that we don't know that that's available to us, as being kingdom children, covenant children, or we refuse to believe that God wants to provide for us financially, that God wants to be the, the Lord of our lives and that what we have belongs to him. And out of that, knowing that he's always providing provision for the vision in any category in our lives. Well, if you want to take care of the deception issue, you've got to renew your mind. That's why mind renewal is so important. But now, once you discover what belongs to you, who you are, who you're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live. Once we discover that, now here's the problem. I start wanting to provide God's benefits in my own ability. That's where the devil steps in. If he can't keep you ignorant, then he'll keep you doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Y'all hear me? 
This, this is the deception. This is the deceptive nature that the enemy operates with. If you knew what the devil knew, I, I said that right. If you only knew what the devil knew about you. See, deception uh, uh, and, 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 and manipulation is just as much of a stronghold as living in the world and living in sin. Maybe even more powerful. I honestly, I, I, honestly, I'd rather be lost than deceived. Because at least the lost person can find their way. A deceived person is convinced that what they believe is right, even though it's wrong. And that's why we walk in a world today that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. Good, bad, and bad, good. Up, down, and down, up. The confusion that is running rampant in our world today. It's unbelievable. Because that's how the enemy works. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This will give us a, a clearer pick, uh, picture of a, a brief synopsis, if you will, of this life translated from darkness to light. Come on, I can't understand mercy and grace if, if I'm uh, misappropriating the two of them. We've got to lay a little bit of a foundation here. Acts chapter, or Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses in sins. I mean, that's pretty clear. Dead, what? Not alive, not effective, not productive, wasting away. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, look, you may call it unfair, but you came in the world that way. The moment we came into this world, we came in dead according to the trespasses and sins. Why? Because if one man sinned, all sinned. We just saw that in Romans chapter 5. We just covered that. The Bible tells us, and look, even if you came in, you know, sparkling, clear, and clean, it's not going to be very long before you sin. Why? Because we were of a sinful nature. That's what sinners do. Sinners sin. That's their nature. Ultimately, at some point, disobedience is going to want to rise up. Uh, ultimately, at some point, doing the opposite of what God has assigned us and God has called us to do is going to show up in our lives. And at any point, we can choose to give into that. And he's letting us know that before you came into the kingdom, you were dead according to those trespasses and sins. He says, in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That, that was the natural way of doing things was whatever God said to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Whatever mom and dad says to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Whatever I know is right, I'm going to do the opposite. That's called, very simply, disobedience. It's simple. This is easy. 
He says in verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Now, we're not going to hear it very often in churches today. You're not going to hear the word wrath in churches today. You're not going to hear uh, the, 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 the nature of the Father that is going to carry out judgment and carry out wrath upon the sons of disobedience. You're not going to hear that a lot today. We don't hear a lot of, of, of talk about holiness and living sin-free and living according to the Word. We don't hear those things because why? We, we tend to bring the Word down to our level rather than bringing our lives up to the level of the Word. That's part of the deception. That's part of the manipulation. That's part of the, the twisted factor that we tend to give ourselves to is in an approach to be welcoming and accepting. We have to dilute, compromise, and water down, trim away Basic, simple truths of the Word of God. And today, we, we serve and believe a God that doesn't hold the same standard that He did 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. I can tell you right now, God still views sin the same exact way He's always viewed it. Nothing's changed on His point. The great thing about that is he's also viewing you the same way he viewed you from the beginning. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before you were in existence, your purpose existed. I mean, I love that. I love, see, we, we love it when God doesn't see us any different based on how we live, but we don't like it when he doesn't view our sin the same way. We want God to be tolerant of activity that we do. No, you don't. I can tell you right now, no, you don't. You don't, you don't want to serve a God that is accepting of certain behaviors and certain things that we know go direct, they're in direct violation of his word. You know, there's times that we get asked where we stand on different things. And I'll be honest, you know, most of the time I don't respond because it's really just bait. They're really just, they, they have no interest because this is what I've found. People that, that do not have an issue with the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're not asking what they can get away with. They're not. Your questions sound different when you are truly pursuing the heart of the Father. You're looking for things to let go of. You're not looking for things for God to accept. That's two different positions. 
I can come to God and I can say, oh, Lord, I want to follow you. If there's something in my life that doesn't belong there, I want it out. I want to let it go. But then there's those that are saying, God, can I bring this with me? God, is this allowed? I mean, I know that back then, I know that this scripture says this, but, but this 2022, I mean, everybody's doing it. I mean, it, it's, it's more rampant than ever. No, we, we, it, it doesn't work that way with God. If I can put it this way, God's not an American. <laughs> I know when I get on I-75 and I head towards St. Augustine, uh, I can put my cruise control at 80 miles an hour and they ain't doing nothing. I'm not encouraging you to do that. They have every right to pull me over and I know. I know already, I've, pre, I've predetermined it in my mind. If they pull me over and say, sir, you're going at 80 and a 70, I, you're right. I am. You're absolutely right. There's, I have no response to that. But I've done it enough times and know they ain't budging for 10 miles. Now, 82, 85, 90, yeah. They're going to light the thing up. They're pulling me over. No problem. I got no problem with that. But sometimes we do this with God. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But the more and more that we break that threshold of mercy in our lives, we become desensitized to the next command. That's what happens. It weakens our ability to hold true to what, look, if I don't believe that God, if, if I manipulate the mercy of God into allowance and tolerance of things in my life, I bring his whole word into question. Because if he's not going to respond to this, then why would he respond to that? I bring the, I, you don't know what you're doing to your heart when we rely on the mercy of God rather than the grace of God. He goes on to say, we're going to break this down. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. I thank God he's not poor in mercy. I thank God he's not rationing out mercy. I thank God he's not holding. You need mercy in your life. Can, can I get an amen? Yeah, I get a big amen on that one. Because we all need mercy. But can I just go ahead and define mercy for you real quick? It's delayed judgment. Delayed, meaning I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another chance. Pharaoh got 10 of them. He came to Pharaoh 10 times. I'm giving you another chance. And God is rich in mercy. There's another term in the Bible that is used for God. It's called long-suffering. It means just like what it sounds. He will suffer long with you, with us. And it sounds like a great attribute, and it is. I thank God that he's long-suffering. But you know what? I, I just, I don't want God to have to suffer over my life. I want God to be pleased with my life. 
It always seems that the love of God comes into question. But the Bible is very clear on that as well. Those whom he loves, he chastens or he corrects. Today, we live in a world that rejects accountability at any level, at all costs. We will fight to remain unaccountable to somebody. A church will hold us accountable. A pastor will hold us accountable and we'll leave and go on to another one. And we'll go to the next one and say that that church offended me or that church hurt me. The church hurt term, that's like a a, a trendy term today. And, And really, probably a lot of what we call church hurt. And I'm not saying that people don't get hurt in church. We absolutely do get hurt in church. Offense is... Uh, available anywhere. And you can get hurt and offended in church, but I'm, I'm going to categorize it. I'm going to help you understand that if somebody's holding you accountable to the word of God, you can't call that church hurt. Now, yeah, it hurts because your flesh never enjoys it. The Bible tells us too that, that no uh, correction is enjoyable at the time but it produces results. I wish we would be a people that we would endure the, 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 the torment or the suffering in the moment for the reward in the long term. But you know what we do? We want to be rewarded in the moment. Therefore, we suffer down the road. It's one or the other. Pain isn't enjoyable in the process. But the results that you'll yield, you'll enjoy them. It's very beneficial to your life. It's very beneficial to respond to the word of God accordingly. It's very beneficial to desire holiness and to desire to please the Father. It's not a question of does he love you or not. You know what you have to do for God to love you? Breathe. For God so loved the, if you exist, he loves you. You didn't have to earn it, and you can't do anything to not earn it. You'll never be able to make God, on your worst day, not love you. Can't do it. But you also can't do anything to make him love you. But now pleasing him, that's different. Pleasing the Father? I mean, I love my boys, but they're not always pleasing to me. Every parent knows that. That's a tough place to be when you've got un, uh, you know, uh, unpleasurable behavior coming out of something that you love and care for dearly. And I'll be honest with you, what you choose to correct reveals what you love. And what you neglect and what you abandon and what you tolerate, you don't really love them. Just going to be honest. There's a lot of times that we stick around people or we, we cherish friendships or cherish relationships because they don't call us out. When you should be looking, you know, just, just do it as a little test. 
Let someone know something that you're really struggling with and see how they respond. If they just respond out of sympathy and they just respond with the pat on the, pat on the back, and, and man, we, you know, we all do it. We're all messed up people. I know, you know, we're, we're going to write them off. Delete the number out the phone. I'm not just telling you to just cut people out of your life, but, but you begin to learn real quick. I need someone that's going to respond different than that. I need someone that's going to say, hey, you're greater than that. You're better than that. This is who you are in Christ. We need to get accountability. Have you talked to Pastor Mark? Have you met with someone about this? Hey, I got some resource that can help you. I mean, if we're not trying, do it in a redemptive way. But, but the enemy has scared us with this whole don't judge me persona. He scared us from even identifying and helping our brothers and sisters that are walking in sin. We can't say nothing about it. Otherwise, we are judging. No, there is a judge, and he will judge. And when he judges, it will be judged. Because he's a judge. I'm trying to help you. So when you stand on judgment day before the judge, he can judge rightly and favorably for you. We got to get back to a place where we can be held accountable. We got to get back to a place where we have such a high standard in ourselves that we don't reject and push back when, when, when God is trying to present mercy and grace into our lives. But mercy and grace, honestly, in a lot of Christians and a lot of believers is not in operation as it ought to be. But he says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Notice it doesn't say because of our great love that we had for him. You didn't get saved, born again, make Jesus Lord of your life because you loved him. You did that because he loved you. He came after you. It says, verse 5, that he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. There's just a, a little reminder. And he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ. Are you seeing a consistent pattern? Are you seeing the theme here? It's not running out. He doesn't have a low supply of mercy. There's not a short supply of grace. I know that that's all we've heard for about the last two years is this is in short supply and this is in. It seems like we're running out of everything these days. It started off with toilet paper. Then we were running out of coins. Then we ran out of cars. Have you noticed the, the, the dealership parking lots these days? There's nothing on them. Running out of formula, running out of gas, run, and, and, you know, before you know it, you're running out of patience. Patience is low and anxiety is high. Well, I thank God that there's no shortage in the kingdom of God. And I tell you right now, anything that is running out of in the world, you serve a God that will sustain you. You serve a God that will provide for you. He'll bring you by the brook, provide water, and birds will bring you bread when there's a famine in the land. Come on. You got to stop living according to the resources of the world. You got to stop getting anxious when the world gets anxious. 
You've heard me say it before. If you keep watching the news and that's your main source of information, your discouragement is self-inflicted. You're bringing that on yourself. Get in the word of God. I serve a God that, that brought water out of a rock, that parted the water so they could get from one side to the next. I mean, it, it, you don't even need to worry about gas issues. If you need to get somewhere and he needs you there bad enough, he'll just translate you there. And it's free of charge. You don't even need to refuel. I read a, someone sent me a thing yesterday that said, now I know why there's horses in the uh, that the armies are coming in on horses in the book of Revelation because there's no gas. <laughs> Apparently, we're all going back to riding horses again. God will do it. Verse 6 says, He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might display, here it is again, the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Boy, that ought to be a red flag right off. That's a major indicator that you have lost what God has done for you and the value of what he's provided if you start boasting in what you've accomplished that only God can accomplish for you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Go to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to use a story here of King Saul to help break this down, open this up to us. Now, I recognize that King Saul is not a Christian. What I mean by that is, Jesus has not yet come to the earth. He has not laid down his life for all mankind. He has not died on a cross and risen again. In essence, what a lot of what we just read in Ephesians, being seated with Christ and ruling and reigning with Christ, King Saul uh, doesn't have that capacity as you and I do. King Saul doesn't even have the Spirit of God living within him as you and I do. The Holy Spirit that will now abide with you forever. But there is a distinction. There is a, a qualifier that King Saul has that you and I have today. And it's found right here in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. Samuel told Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. The Lord sent me to anoint you. Saul was anointed by God for the assignment he was given. Saul was anointed by God for the assignment of being king and ruling over the people of Israel. And you too are anointed. You have an anointing. This is uh, how I like to put it. Anointing is supernatural assistance for a supernatural assignment. Supernatural assistance for a supernatural 
assignment. Meaning that what God has called me to do, what God has called you to do, and I'm not just talking about what you do uh, as a vocation or occupation. I'm not just talking about what you studied to do or what you put your hand to. I'm talking about being a kingdom citizen. That is a supernatural assignment. You cannot be the kingdom citizen and the kingdom person God has called you to be in and of your own ability. You cannot do it. Not even Jesus could do it. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 tells us how Jesus went about teaching the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God, and doing miracles, signs, and wonders. How he was anointed and the Spirit of God was upon him. If Jesus couldn't do it without the anointing and the Holy Spirit, neither can you. And so King Saul, it tells us right offhand that he is anointed as king over his people. Another word that we have for anointing is grace. Is grace. Now, this is where we get the disconnect between mercy and grace. Uh, maybe you've heard different definitions of mercy and grace. Uh, mercy is uh, withholding what you deserved, and grace is giving what you didn't deserve. We've heard that before. Uh, mercy is, is uh, you know, um, grace is unmerited favor, meaning that you've been given something that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, where mercy is not being given something. Having something withheld from your life, judgment, penalty, punishment that you did deserve. But in this instance, what I need you to understand about the grace of God is the grace of God is actually what empowers you to do the kingdom life and live the kingdom life. Grace is not a mere band-aid that we use every time I blow it. Grace is not something that I use preemptively as some people do, and Paul addressed this in the book of Romans, he said, there's many of you that are saying, oh, I've got grace, so I'll go ahead and sin, and grace will fix it later. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't want to live there. Paul said, may it never be. Should I continue to sin so that grace may abound? Meaning, Maybe if I keep blowing it, God will keep giving grace. I need to help God with his grace production so I'll keep sinning. No, that's a dangerous way to live. The mercy of God draws you to the grace of God. But where a lot of believers are living is they're living out of mercy rather than grace. And I want to distinctly uh, uh, distinguish between these two because we need to know how to live out of grace. I'll, let me just go ahead and make this statement. This might shock you, but we're going to get it explained through this story. As a believer in the kingdom of God, you should not have to live out of mercy ever again. Mercy, 
The mercy of God is what allowed you to receive the grace of God. You could put it this way, that mercy really should be a one-time occurrence. And from that moment on, you operate out of grace. And grace will keep you from ever having to go back to mercy again. I'm going to explain this. Mercy is extended when disobedience occurs. The only way mercy shows up is if you blow it first. Okay? I need mercy when I'm in trouble. I need mercy when I've gotten myself in trouble. I need mercy when I've disobeyed. I need, I need mercy when I've been caught going 80 in a 70. Y'all with me? I need mercy. I'm at, I'm at your merciful hand. And I, I'm sucking up and I'm being as nice and I'm saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I know. I bl-, you know, you're, you're doing everything you can to get on the good side so that mercy can be extended and the punishment won't be given. But you know what? There was grace that was given first. The grace was a black and white sign that said speed limit, seven zero. And if I would have operated out of the grace, I would have never needed to operate out of the mercy. The grace was, you don't have to guess the speed limit out here. You don't have to hope you're getting it right. We'll tell you exactly what the speed limit is. We'll tell you exactly what the maximum speed allowed on this interstate is. Now, where I come from in Texas, we got much higher speed limits. We've got 75, we've got 80, and we even have an 85, which means you go in 95. And I'm telling you, when you get on that highway that's got an 85 mile an hour speed limit, you don't feel like you're going anywhere because there's nothing to your left, there's nothing to your right, and there's nothing to your left. And there's hardly anybody out there, and it just feels like you're just sitting still. I'm serious. When you're on wide open space, 85 feels like nothing. feels like you're pedaling along. Might as well be riding a bike. There's a reason why it's that high. The reason why in a school zone, it's a certain speed. And so, you know what? The grace of the state of Georgia and the grace of Lowndes County and the the grace of the city of Valdosta is extended to me when they let me know what the speed is ahead of time. Well, guess what? God's word brings grace. King Saul was anointed. The The empowerment was upon his life to fulfill the assignment to which God would give him. That's the grace of God. And if we would learn as believers to operate out of grace, which is the empowerment to obey. So if mercy shows up when disobedience occurs, grace shows up so that obedience can occur. Does that make sense? The grace shows up so that I can obey. Paul said it this way. Your grace is what? Sufficient for me. It's enough. 
Why? Because there's a thorn in my flesh. Why? Because there's something that's wanting to get me off course. There's something that's wanting to deter me. There's something that's wanting. See, I'm telling you right now, the the life of the believer should be much greater marked by our ability to achieve what God has set before us rather than not doing what the devil's trying to tempt us with. We've got to make this switch. We've got to flip this thing. So much of our lives is just striving and trying not to fall into temptation, trying not to say the wrong thing, trying not to have the wrong response, trying not to, to keep doing that thing that we know we keep running back to, trying not to, to, to sin and displease God. No, I think that there's much more that God wants us to be living and doing in this kingdom life. I just believe that there's a much greater life that where holiness and a sinless life becomes a byproduct rather than the goal. Rather than waking up every morning just trying to be as good as I can. I just feel like there's more. I feel like there's so many Christians that have been burnt out with that level of Christianity, burnt out with just trying, and, 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 and then the failure shows up. Have you ever lived your life and ever thought to yourself that the failures in my life are my responsibility and the successes in my life are someone else's responsibility? The only reason I succeed is because of what Jesus did, and the only reason I fail is because of what I keep doing. I feel like there's a greater way to live. I feel like there's a greater way to live this, this kingdom life that God has laid before us. That, to me, does not sound like ruling and reigning. That doesn't sound like managing and controlling. That doesn't sound like this, this wonderful, beneficial life that God has provided for us. Jesus did not die on a cross and go through all he did so that we strive and strain with every every ounce of our fiber to try to not sin. No, he's given us grace. See, Samuel reminds him right off, right off the top, you are anointed for this. Look at the very next thing. Verse two, this is what the Lord of armies says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. There's a a three-letter word that we have for this. It's called war. It's what this is. It's a conflict. Who is sending Saul into conflict? Who is sending Saul into, is Saul going into this conflict because he wants to go fight this battle? No. Is he going into this conflict because the Amalekites are coming and waging war against him? No. God is sending him into conflict. I'm going to minister on this at length at some other time. But we need to understand conflict in the kingdom better. We need to understand, here's the thing. God isn't having Saul wage war against the Amalekites to punish Saul. 
He's having Saul wage war against the Amalekites to punish the Amalekites. And as a believer, I, I mentioned this last week, two types of crisis. Y'all remember that? There's crisis that comes as a result of our disobedience that's more self-inflicted. A lot of the trials and the challenges that come into our lives is because we disobeyed, we fell away, and now we've opened the door to attack. We've opened the door to challenge. It's very easy to get out of that kind of conflict. Shut the door. Choose life. Live according to his word. Get back in right alignment. And then those things don't have authority and access to you. But then there's the kind of conflict that God will actually lead you into. You remember where Jesus went after he uh, rose up out of the water after being baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him? You remember where he went? It says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to what? Be tempted by the devil. Jesus wasn't led into the wilderness for his punishment. Jesus was led into the wilderness for Satan's punishment. Jesus said, God said, now that you have given your life to me, now that my spirit is upon you, I need you to go take care of some business. And there's some conflict. There's some wars being waged. There's some challenges that you're walking into. And it's not because of your punishment. It's not because you did something wrong. It's not because you're out of alignment. It's not because God's trying to teach you something. It's because God is waging war against his enemies and he's using you, a spirit-filled kingdom citizen, empowered and full of grace and anointed to go in and take territory back for the kingdom of God. It's time for us to stop rejecting every conflict that comes our way. It's time for us to stop praying away every battle that we are engaged with. And it's time to have discernment. Is this battle coming upon me? Is this conflict showing up in my life because I'm doing something wrong or because God needs me to go whip something for the kingdom of God? I'm serious. If you want to live a conflict-free life, go ahead and go on to heaven now. Because that's the only way out. I mean, when they baptize you, they might as well just held you under the water. <laughs> I mean, most churches preach, preach this kingdom life so lousy anyways, it's like, you might as well have. If I have to put up with everything else down here. But no, I'm telling you that the stuff that we're supposed to, we're not supposed to be putting up with anything down here. We're supposed to be waging battles. Some of the environments you're in right now, some of the challenges you're facing, some of the issues and the problems that you're complaining about even today. God's like, I need you to go whip that thing. I put you there for a reason. He's sending Saul directly into conflict. And he told him first off, right offhand, you've got the grace to do it. You've got the grace to overcome. You can obey. You can follow through. Well, knowing the story, just to get this thing moving along, we know that he goes in there and he doesn't destroy every living thing as God commanded. So now King Saul finds himself moving from operating out of grace to resorting to have to live out of mercy. 
It's an image of what a lot of us do. See, when we reject the grace of God, we have to resort to the mercy of God. God never intended for his believers, for his children, to have to live off of mercy. I'm thankful it's there when I need it. There was a song back in the day. I don't remember who wrote it or sung it. I think it went something like, mercy came a-running. I thank God that mercy came and ran me down. I thank God that his mercy wouldn't give up. I thank God that his mercies are new every morning. But I don't want to find myself in a position where I'm constantly having to take another mercy check. God, I need more mercy. I blew it. God, I need more mercy. I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. God, I, No, he wants us to operate out of grace and he's letting us know, look, I'll provide mercy when you need it, but I've got grace so you won't have to need it. And we've got to have a better distinguishing factor. If we go through this uh, in verse, um, let's get on down to verse 12. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul. Here's the thing. Mercy's necessary when your conflict is with God. Grace is necessary when your conflict is with the enemy. Grace enables me and empowers me to engage the enemy and beat him every time. But now I need mercy when God and I are conflicted. When God and I are out of alignment. You see the difference? And so now Samuel's having to confront, the prophet's having to confront the king. Because it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. How delusional must you be? But if you go back two chapters to 1 Samuel 13, we see this is a repeated occurrence. This is a repeated offense for King Saul. To take a command of God and then do according to his own agenda. Do according to his own plan. Do according to what he feels like should be done. He decided to save the good cattle. He decided to save some of the way. He even kept the king himself alive. When the instruction was clear, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And I've graced you, empowered you, equipped you to accomplish this assignment. Samuel replied, then what is this sound of sheep, goats, and cattle I hear? And Saul answered, the troops brought them from the Amalekites. Now he's blaming others. And spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer sacrifice. So he's blaming others. Then he justifies the actions by saying, but we're going to sacrifice it all to God. We know later on Samuel says the powerful uh, verse, the powerful quote, to worship God, to obey God is what? Better than sacrifice. If we would obey him, we would find out that the real sacrifice that God wants is us. He wasn't looking for the best of the sheep and the oxen and the cattle. He was looking for the best of Saul. He's saying, Saul, I'm giving you by mercy. 
See, mercy will lead you to grace. It's the mercy of God that leads all men to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads all men to repentance. Mercy is what drew me to the grace. But if I refuse to use the grace, I've got to resort back to mercy once again. And we start trying to live off of mercy rather than live out of grace. Samuel continued, verse 17, although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He reminds them again, you have the grace to do this. And then you were sent on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. It wasn't about the Israelites versus the Amalekites. It was about God versus the Amalekites. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey. See, Saul has run such a course here of relying on mercy that he doesn't he can't even tell the difference between right and wrong anymore. See, if we don't respond to mercy properly, it desensitizes us to the command and the word of the Lord each time to where we become so delusional that we think we're actually obeying God when we know outright we're not. I mean, you read back to a story like this and you're thinking, this is easy, Saul. The command was simple. I mean, that's the way I am. I'm a very black and white guy. Make it easy. Make it cut and dry. Take all the gray stuff out. Just, just give me what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. It's very simple. And this is that. Utterly destroy, annihilate. There's no room for error here. If it's breathing, kill it. God's not asking for his agenda. God's not asking for what do you think. He's not asking, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about killing all these men, women, and children. You know what? I, I think it'd be better to do. He's not asking for any input. This is instructional. This is a command from God. And his responses are continually, but I did obey. But I did what the, but, but this is why we kept it alive. I mean, just the continual, a repeated Nature that says, I'm going to do it my way. You go on uh, further down, verse 24. After Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words because I was afraid of the people. I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. What's he relying on here? Is he relying on grace or is he relying on mercy? Relying on mercy. Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. The grace showed up to Adam and Eve. Do not eat of the fruit of this tree. That's grace. 
But when they rejected grace, broke the command, then they had to rely on mercy. Then they had to rely on the mercy of God. Worship team, if you come. It's important for us to recognize, distinguish, and set apart how mercy and grace operate in the life of the believer. Most importantly, we cannot take either one for granted. It's not the presentation that we want to give, but we have to remember that there are things that God hates. I heard someone say once, it's impossible to love well if you don't equally hate well. If we don't have a disdain and if we don't have a rejection of and we don't have a a distaste in our lives for the things that God is rejecting, then we'll find ourselves first allowing and tolerating the things that he doesn't allow. Then we will expect God to receive us and accept us in that fallen state every time. And we become, again, desensitized to the fact that God is a God that will carry out wrath. God is a God that will carry out judgment. I grew up in Pentecostal churches. I grew up in churches where they they, they could preach fire, hell, and brimstone so well you could smell it. I, I, I remember, you know, one particular church that I grew up in, every weekend, every weekend was an altar service. Every Sunday was an altar service where we came down and we cried and we mourned and we repented of all the stuff that we messed up in the last seven days. And there are times where you need your heart broken for what God's heart breaks for. There are times where you need to call upon the mercy of God. There are times, but I believe that God is wanting to move his church to a place where we live out of the goodness of God. We live out of the grace of God. We live out of the equipping nature of God. And for everything that we break and for everything that we disobey and for everything that we abandon and neglect and walk away from, he always will take you back to, this is what my word says. Now, I thank God he's rich in mercy. I thank God those mercies are new every morning. I need mercy today. I need mercy this morning. You know, the Bible is very clear. Jesus gave a parable that if, if, if you're not going to extend mercy to others, how can you extend, expect God to extend mercy to you? He told a parable of a man that owed a great amount of money to the king, and the king forgave him. And he turned around and he went out to a guy that owed him a very menial amount. 
nowhere near as much as what he was just forgiven. And he choked the guy out and he threw him in prison and threw him, threw him in jail. And, and the king heard about it and said, excuse me? How are you not going to extend mercy and forgiveness to someone else when I just extended mercy and forgiveness to you of something much greater than what that man owed you? No, you become pharisaical. You become a hypocrite. You become religious when we forget what we've been forgiven of. We, we are walking down a dangerous path when I can't extend the love of God to someone else when he's extended that love to me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.